Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. John Acts, and we will look at a singular verse today, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you'd open up with me, are you there and alive? Amen. Okay, and I need to ask a very important question. Are you forgiven this morning? Are you a child of God this morning? I hope you are. And if not, let me tell you, by the end of today's service, you have an opportunity to know that your sins can be forgiven. To become, by God's grace, a child of God. And that is the good news of the gospel. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When you get there, one more time, say amen. Amen. All right, it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm going to read that again just because I'm not used to it being that short, okay? Let's get it in our minds, in our hearts. Maybe close your eyes memorize this or quote this with me it says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth this morning we are in week six of our vision Uh, series where we look at who has God called us to be. A vision is who God's called us to be. A mission is what God's called us to do, and a strategy is how He's called us to do that. Now let's look at our uh, eight points of our vision statement. Let's read through them very briefly. Number one, we desire to be a church that reflects heaven, a multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. Number two, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Three, we desire to declare God's word through singing and preaching and evangelism. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Number four, we desire to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. Number five, this was last week. We desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus this week. Number six, we desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the end of the world as ambassadors of Christ, armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and to help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And lastly, 
but certainly not the least of importance. We desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. This is who God's called us to be. What He's called us to do is a simple phrase, and it's, we exist to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. That's our mission statement. To help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. And how do we do that? We have three strategy points. Our three points are declare, disciple, deploy. We say the phrase declare the gospel, disciple the believer, deploy the church. And we put those, if you go back one screen, Mr. James, we put those into a circle. You see them up there in the corner? Where does it start? Uh huh. Where does it end? Never. Uh, it's a, a cycle. We want this to be ongoing. We declare the gospel here inside the church. We disciple believers as a church. We deploy out into the community to, to do what? Declare the gospel, to disciple those believers, to deploy them into their community. And so that is the goal that we have as a church. And we are praying by God's grace that he would give us this desire that we might become all that he wants us to be, not for our glory, but for his. Can I get an amen? Now, some of you, this might be new news to. You've never seen this or heard this before in your life. If that's you, that means it's your first time here today. And if that's you, we're so thankful that you're here with us. And if you're a guest with us, please don't forget to fill out a Guest Connect card. It's in the pew rack in front of you. And take that to the Welcome Center. We've got a gift bag for you on your way out. But if you've been here for a week or two or more, you've heard this on repeat over the last six weeks. And you might be getting tired of it, but what we're really trying to do is to get it way down deep into us. So I want to look at two main ideas today in a sermon out of this text, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, and I want us to see this from the Scriptures. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he gives a, a statement. Now, you might say, what's the context of this? Here's the context. Forty days ago, Jesus died on the cross. Maybe 43 days ago, Jesus died on the cross. The disciples went into hiding because they, they were thinking to themselves, what should we do? Our Messiah, or the one that we thought was the Messiah, is now dead. What do we do? Three days later, he gloriously rose from the grave by the power of God working in him. And he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death for all who would put their faith in him. Isn't that good news? Then, 40 days he spent making himself known to his people, to his disciples. And some of those stories are found in the book of, or the Gospels. Other of those stories, we have no idea what they are. But for 40 days, Jesus reveals himself alive to hundreds of people. And they see him with their own eyes. They speak to him. They touch him with their own hands. They saw and they heard Jesus. And so 40 days later, we find ourselves at Acts chapter 1. After his resurrection, 40 days. And they ask him a question, a very important question. A question that maybe you and I would think about in these days that we live in. When's the kingdom coming? When, when is God going to come down and when are you going to sit on your throne? When are you going to set Rome in his place or in its place? When are you going to make everything right? When are all the prophecies, the ultimate prophecies of the Old Testament about this glorious reign of peace going to happen? When's that coming? And when are we going to sit with you on your throne? And what did Jesus say? It's not for you to know. 
not for you to know. Now, oftentimes, we, uh, we fuss and think about and spend so much time on the last things. Now, and you, if you were to think about this, you were to think about, okay, I've got a limited amount of time with Jesus. I want to know everything that there is to know. And Jesus knows in his heart that he's got a limited amount of time with his beloved disciples. And this is the last thing that I'm going to say to them. Guess what it's not about? The book of Revelation. Now, I, I heard, I think it's Pastor Ken, he says, if, if you want to fill up a Bible study, uh, uh, preach on the book of Revelation. You can fill a Bible study by talking about the book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's just so entertaining and so inspiring, and so we have so many questions about it. But as Jesus is fixing to, that's a, that's a southern word, he's, he's fixing to ascend to the Father, he says one thing. He doesn't say, okay, here's what you need to look for, here's the sign of the times. No, he says, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Now, do you remember the, the Greek word for the, the, the word witness? It's martyr. It's the word that we get the English word martyr from. You will be my martyrs. Martyr does not originally mean someone who dies, but it meant a witness. And we have taken that word and applied that word to many who bore witness to the truth of Christ and gave their lives for it. And that's exactly what happened to the apostles. They bore witness to the veracity of the gospel, the truth of Christ, and many of them, all of them, gave their lives for it. And he says, you'll be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Right here. Praise the Lord. And in Judea. Okay? And in Samaria. Time out. Samaria, Jesus? Do you remember the, the beef that the Samaritans and the Jews had? Samaritans were called dogs by the Jews. They were, they were half-breeds. They were not loved by the Jews. And Jesus says, yes, even Samaria and to the ends of the world. You mean the Gentile nations? Yes, I mean the Gentile nations. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, two points that I want to make for you. The first is that these and we are deployed by the Father deployed by the Father. Now, I have to ask the question, is there anybody in here who has served in our military in such a way that they have been on a deployment somewhere around the globe? Is there anybody in here? Okay, praise the Lord for each and every one of you. And so sometimes when I say the word deploy, when talking about the mission of God, it's not a very fond word because maybe in your deployment you experienced some things that were pretty terrifying. But, if you look at the definition of the word deploy, I don't think there's a better word for it. And here's the definition of the word deploy. Number one, it means to place troops and weapons in battle formation. we got to get battle ready. Do you remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What are we battling against? Spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Troops and weapons in battle formation in two to distribute systematically and strategically. So this is what God is doing in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. He's deploying his people into military formation 
systematically and strategically for the sake of the gospel. Now, follow with me. From the very beginning of creation, this is what God has done. If you think that missions is a New Testament idea, it's, it's not. Missions has been at the heart of God ever since the, uh, the creation of the world. Missions. What do I mean by missions? Very briefly, I mean by missions that God's people would go out from the church that they go to and their home that they live in into the world surrounding them and bear witness to the gospel of Christ to those that they come in contact with. That's missions. Missions can be across the street, it can be across county lines, and it can be to the ends of the world. That's what missions is. And God has, from the very beginning of creation, had missions on his heart. What do I mean? Think about it like this. In Genesis chapter 1, he created male and female in his image. And he said to them, he blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and what? Multiply and fill the earth and have what? Dominion. Have dominion. So this dominion, this kingdom of God bearing itself on all of the world is at the very heart of God from the beginning of creation that God's people would fill the world and have dominion over it. Then, when you think about Adam and Eve, they left the garden. Um, Abraham comes along. God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. Now, let's just be honest. If God were to come to us and say, Ryan... I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to pour out all of the blessings of heaven on your life, and I'm going to make your name great. Wouldn't you like that if that's what God said to you? I think we would all like that. There was a so that in this statement to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. In you, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. How is that? Abraham, the father of Israel. How is it that that through Abraham, all of the people are going to be blessed? Where did Jesus come from? The line of Abraham. You go into Egypt, all of the 70 of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family, they go into Egypt and they spend 400 years in Egypt. What does God do? He multiplies them from 70 people to millions. And there, as they're living in Egypt, they are bearing witness to the truth of Yahweh among the Egyptians. Are they living there perfectly? Of course they're not. But they're on mission there. He, God, rescues them miraculously from Egypt. He sends them out of Egypt into the Exodus and into the wilderness, and then into the promised land. And it's all about God making His name and His fame known in places where it wasn't. That God's kingdom and dominion would go forth from those who bear witness about the faithful character of uh, of God. that, That there is no God like our God. And they bear witness. This mission... has been throughout all of Israel's history and all of humankind's history, this mission has been on display. What happens? The people of Israel, they, they sin against God. They go after idols. And where does God send them? Into where? Exile. Some into Assyria, some into Babylon. And they go into exile. They come out of exile. And as they come out of exile, again, they're reestablishing the kingdom of Yahweh. They're bearing the 
the bearing witness to the truthfulness of God among the, their people and among others, among other nations. And over and over, so when Jesus came, Jesus is the perfect example of God being on mission. That Jesus came to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, to seek and to save that which is lost. I don't know of a better word or phrase to describe the mission of God. Are you with me, church? This idea of missions is woven throughout the scriptures. Woven throughout the scriptures. And so here's what I want us to hear today. Our success or failure as a church hinges on our involvement in missions. Now, listen to me. We got a big, big sanctuary, but it's not about seating capacity. It's about sending capacity. That's what success and faithfulness to the Great Commission looks like, is not coming and gathering together, giving everybody a holy hug and high five and a huddle, and then going home. That's not success in God's eyes. If that's all we're doing, that's all that church is to us, that's all that Jesus is to us, we have missed the gospel. We've missed it. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, he said it like this, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. Right? Stick that knife in and turn it because ouch, that hurts. Because missions, seeing the lost come to saving faith in Christ is at the heart of the gospel. And before I met Jesus, I was the one and somebody told me about Christ. I didn't come to Jesus through dream, did you? I came to Jesus because of the faithful witness of a youth pastor, and I told you last week, Mama Martha, who poured into my life the gospel of Jesus Christ. They got it. They got it. It's at the heart of the gospel. Now, I just have to ask this question. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that there is a God who is sovereign over all things and God has this incredible plan in mind that He has uh, strategically and systematically placed you where you are not for the sake of, I get to be close to the lake. Not because the property taxes in South Carolina are lower than other places. Not because this is a great retirement community. Not because it's a great place to raise kids, but God has brought you here and He has deployed you systematically and strategically into Oconee County for the sake of the gospel that we might bear witness to who Jesus is and tell those who are far from Him about Christ. That they might come into the same personal, intimate relationship that you and I have with God. That they might be forgiven and chosen and set free and become by His grace a child of God. That's why you exist. Do you believe that to be true? It's easier to say, uh-huh, than to live it, isn't it? Do you believe that your existence here in this season, this little blip of history, is for the salvation of the lost and the glory of God? Now, look, can you save somebody? You can't, can you? Have you ever tried convincing somebody that you're right and they're wrong? I lose that every day at my house. 
I can't do it. I can't do it. But God, through faithful witnesses, oh, can, He can make a great impact. Do you believe that, that you're here for that? Now, I'm going to ask you another question. Do you desire? Maybe you say, Ryan, I'm not there, but I want to. Do you desire to live as a deployed people? There's a lot that God can do with desire. Having desire and not the doing, I, I'm, I'm fine with somebody there. But if we have no desire to live on mission, you've got a beef with Jesus. You've got something in your heart that you and He need to get alone and walk out. And either that means that you don't know the grace of God. Because God's grace is so amazing that when you know it, you tell people about it. Grandparents, where are you? Throw up a hand. Grandparents. Where, any great-grandparents in here? Oh yeah, I got a couple. Great-grandparents. Now, when you grandparents and great-grandparents became grandparents, what did you show to every stranger and passerby as you met them on the street. I have, hey, I have no idea who you are, but check out this picture of my grandbabies. You did it, didn't you? Because you were so excited about your grandbabies. And grandbabies are good. Now, I've heard a number of you as grandparents say, if I knew grandchildren were this good, I'd have skipped having children and just gone straight for the grandchildren. Because you're so excited about God's goodness to you, you tell everybody about God's goodness in the face of this grandchild how much more, and no offense to your grandchildren, how much more has God been good to us in the face of Jesus? Yet so often we're ashamed to tell him, tell people of him. I, I desire that we would become the kind of people that would desire to bear witness to the character and grace of God, to live as conduits of blessing. The blessing, does it come from you? No, it comes from Him. But what are we? We're conduits that it flows through to them. That's who we are. So the question is, are you clogged up or not? Are you a conduit? Are the blessings of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ flowing through you to others around you? God has deployed us systematically and strategically in your neighborhood. Why do you live where you live? I found a great deal on a house. Wrong. God has deployed you. What are you doing with that? Why do you work where you do? It's a good job and they have great benefits. No, I'm thankful for both of those answers, but no. God has deployed you systematically and strategically into a workplace where you're going to encounter people who are far from Christ. And they need Jesus. And God has placed you there that you might bear witness to His goodness and grace. Are you with me, church? Why do you go to the same grocery store? Because I'm a person of habit. No, because there are people at that grocery store who need Christ. He says, to the edges 
to the ends. That's what we have. We, we have in our mission state or this vision statement number six to the edges of Oconee County to the ends of the world. Now, many people will say, well, when we get the edges of Oconee County, then we'll go to the ends of the, ends of the world. That Oconee should always be primary. And I, I just want to say in this list here, it's not a, a, a list that you follow. When we get Jerusalem done after Jerusalem, we'll go to all Judea and after all Judea, we'll go to all Samaria. That's not the way that this was intended to be written. It's not an either or, but it's a both and simultaneously. Why, Ryan? Why is it that a lot of churches focus on overseas missions as much as or more than missions in their community? Can I, can I just be honest? I, I have taken hundreds and hundreds of people on overseas mission trips, and what God does in the heart of a person on an overseas mission trip will always affect their missions here. It will affect the way they live here. So if you've never been on an overseas mission trip, you need to find one, sign up, and go. And we're working on having uh, one maybe this fall, one next spring, and then another next fall. Edges to the ends. Okay, secondly, you're filled with God's power. Second thing, you are filled with God's power. Now, well, you might need to ask yourself, man, Ryan, it feels, it feels really arrogant. Have you ever thought about that? We're going to people. They might be good-hearted people. Have you ever heard that? They got a good heart. They got good hearts. And who am I to go into their community or over here and tell them that how their living's not right and they need, to, they need to trust Jesus? And he's the only way of salvation. Doesn't that seem kind of arrogant? Come on now, we've got to answer that question. Because to a lot of people around us, it sure does. Well, what makes your way better than their way? What's the difference between Christianity and Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or name one? What's the difference and why do we go and tell them? And here's, if you're going to answer this question, you've got to ask yourself a question first. Is, is the content of the gospel good advice or good news? Come on, answer it for me. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. Two words put together, good news. Now, if it was good advice, it would be like every other religion. Because every other religion says, here's good advice and you need to live by it. And if you live by that good advice, then you will uh, earn a reward potentially from God that he will be indebted to you because you have done A, B, and C. Or like Islam, there are five pillars of Islam, and if you keep those five pillars uh, well throughout your life, then God will give you an eternal reward. That's good advice. But Christianity is altogether different than any other religion known to man. Why? Because Christianity does not give good advice. Now, if you think that the Bible is a, a road map to live by, you're wrong. Why? Because you can't live by it, can you? If the Bible was only a list of rules that we've got to keep or not keep, then we're all in big trouble of hell. Are you with me? It's not good advice. It's good news. Why? What do I mean? Good news is something not that I have to do, but something. Good news reports on something that's already been accomplished. And that's the Christian gospel. That's the Christian message. 
And so we're not going into a, a community or in, in anywhere we go and saying, if you will do all of these things, then God will. What we're going into a community and saying is, you can't, so God did, and if you'll trust Him, you'll get what Jesus deserved. That, that you get to stand in the place of God in heaven. Why? Or the place of Jesus in heaven. Why? Because Jesus stood in your place on earth. It's good news. It's not something that you've got to do. It's something that Christ has done. Are you with me, church? Isn't that good? It's, that's what's so different. So we might say it feels so arrogant, and it's the opposite. We're saying that we're not better than anybody. And we're not. You can't name a group of people, the thems of our world, and say that we're better than them. We're not. You want to know the only difference between me and them? Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace that is greater than all my sin. And if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be in the same place. But grace. So it's good news, not good advice. And Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, says something about the gospel. So why do we say armed with the gospel? Because the gospel is what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, look at the screen, for it is the what? The power of God for salvation. Did you know that? The gospel is not just information to be consumed, but it is the power that comes upon you. What do you mean? The gospel is not information, but transformation. The gospel takes old, dead sinners and causes those old, dead sinners to be convicted of their sin and born again to life and put their faith in Jesus. That's what the gospel does. The gospel, if you've only come in contact with the information of Jesus and you've never come in contact with the transforming power of Jesus, you're not saved. The gospel is transforming power. It's the power of God for salvation. Why? Because it's good news. Something that He's already done. I don't have to do it. I don't have to muster it. I don't have to accomplish it or merit it. It's already been merited for me. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22-24. to 24. He says, The Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach... Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now, just stop for a second. I need you to think about the message that we're preaching. The message that we're preaching is that, there, that God is one who exists in three persons. God the Son left heaven, left His glory, set it aside, took on the humble form of a man, born of a woman, a virgin birth, lived a sinless life, did many miracles, died in our place as a substitute on the cross, and then after death, rose from the grave three days later and is now ascended to the Father and seated on the throne at His right hand. And that message is a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. 
It's a stumbling block to some because some are going to say, that's too easy. And it's foolishness to others because you mean to tell me (laughs) that this is what the Bible's all about? It's a stumbling block and foolishness. But what does Paul say? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You're filled with power and you're filled with, you're armed with the gospel, you're filled with the Spirit. Armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill says it this way. Well, let me, let me stop before I quote him. Um, how many of you have often prayed to the Lord that you'd say, Lord, fill me. Come fill me up. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Have you ever prayed that prayer? That's a good prayer to pray. The problem with praying that prayer is that before you can be filled, what do you have to be? Empty. And Leonard Ravenhill says, the problem with praying that prayer is everybody wants to be filled, nobody wants to be emptied. Vessels have to be broken before they can be filled with treasure. Do you remember Luke chapter 7? This lady came and what did she do with her treasure? Her treasure, her precious ointment that she had worked really hard to accumulate, she poured it out on Jesus. And they said, what a waste. And Jesus said, it's not a waste. Because she poured out her treasure and she gained something that's eternal. We as Christians are armed with the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. And we are filled with God's spirit. You don't do this alone. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am what? With you always, even to the ends of the age. He's with us. How? In His Holy Spirit, we have become a sanctuary, a temple of God's Holy Spirit. He does not like the Old Testament come upon us and leave us, come upon us and leave us, but rather the Holy Spirit chose by God's grace to take up residence in us. So let me make this practical as I close down today. Practical. I think we've got some questions Is SBC, is Seneca Baptist Church, organized for ministry and mission? Are we organized for ministry and mission? Now, the answer is no. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we're not. The reason that Seneca Baptist, like many other churches, like us, are not organized for ministry, is we as a church have six standing committees, We've got an ABC, an Administrative Business Council, deacons, trustees, etc. So if I, if I just use six standing committees, ABC, deacons, trustees, that alone is over 40 people who are called to administrate the business of the church. And many of those positions, some of you who have served in those positions, take a lot of time. Take a lot of time. And most of the people that, that end up on one of those committees have to pull back from other responsibilities like ministry and mission 
because their time is consumed with administrating the business of the church. Now, I believe that there's a better, more biblical way. Scripture gives us a very, very clear way to organize and structure a church. And if we're going to reach the neighborhood, and if we're going to reach the nations, we've got to organize biblically. Not according to tradition. Well, pastor, I've always done it this way. Where'd they get that way from? It's not here. There are people called to administrate the church. The Bible calls them pastors, overseers, elders. Same office, different titles. And if we're going to reach the neighborhood and the nations, we've got to free people from administrating the church. Committees are good and helpful, and we need them. But we've, we've got to remember they're servant in nature, not administrative in nature. Every ministry, every committee, everything that we do as a church must have at its heart the mission of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ going to those who do not have it. Are you with me, church? And if a ministry or committee or whatever does not have mission, the mission and ministry of the gospel at heart, we must a, bring that back into line with this is who God's called us to be, what He's called us to do, and how He's called us to do it, or that thing, whatever it might be, if it cannot be brought in line, it must go away. Not because it's not good, but if it's not gospel, it's not God. And oftentimes, we sacrifice God things for good things, and we ask God to bless them. I'm going to get an email about that. Second question. Have our methods become traditions? Have our methods become traditions? And listen to me. Well, I, I just, I was given a book. The title of it was captivating, so I opened it began to read. The title of it is called Flipping the Script. It's a Lifeway book put out by uh, Ben Mandrell, the um, president of Lifeway. And it's called Flipping the Script. And he asked this question, have our methods become traditions and have our traditions kept us from reaching the next generation? Have our methods become traditions and have our traditions kept us from reaching the next generation? Yes. Let's just say we're, you and I are going to go build a house. We want to build a quality house, amen? But now if you build a quality house in the 1940s and a quality house in the 2000s, you want the end result maybe to be the same. But the tools by which you're going to use to build the house, are they going to be slightly different? Is anybody using one of these drills anymore? The Amish, that's the only thing people I got. 
Only people I know that are using the drills that are hand-cranked drills are the Amish. But I mean, think about it. Laser levels? Nail guns? Pneumatic nail guns? We use these things to accomplish the same goal, but our methods have changed. Now, let's be real, let's be real clear. Are there things that cannot, must not ever change? Yes. Does the Bible change? No. Does the gospel change? No. So the message does not change, amen? But the method does. Do you understand that the traditions we have now were only traditions for the last hundred years, maybe? We say traditional, and at one point in time, the piano was new. Our, have our methods become traditions and have our traditions kept us from, from reaching the next generation? Uh, pastor Ken uh, met with a pastor one time and his pa- this pastor asked his congregation this question. He asked, older congregation, he said, would you be willing to help build a church that you may not like, but your grandchildren and children, they would want to be a part of it? Did I get that right? Would you help me build a church that you might not like, but your children and grandchildren, they want to be a part of it? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? But if we're serious about reaching the nations, if we're serious about reaching our community and the next generation, like we talked about last week, our methods have to change. Last thing, availability is more desired than capability. Availability is more desired than capability. Some of you say, well, I don't know what I'd say. It doesn't matter. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You got the best news ever. Go tell somebody. What if I get it wrong? The gospel is the power of God. Not your mess, not the way that you put it across. The gospel is. And even better, Matthew chapter 10, verse 18 says, oh, when you're drug, dragged in front of governors and rulers and authorities, don't worry about what to say. Because in that moment, the Spirit's going to speak on your behalf. Availability is better than capability. God doesn't need you to have all the skills. Don't you remember Acts chapter 4? They looked at the apostles and said about the apostles, these are just common, uneducated men, but they've turned the world upside down. Not only does the church need to organize for ministry, but my life needs to be reorganized that I might be available for ministry. My life. I want you to pray. I want you to pray with me. There's a a lady in Ingalls at the flower counter. Her name is Solvig. Don't ask me how to spell it. I can barely pronounce it. Solvig. And she's lost as a goose, y'all. Well, the other morning, a week ago, I took some balloons there to blow up for Sutton's eighth birthday party. And we got to talking. I got to listening. And she got to talking. And then she asked one of the most important questions. She said, she said, 
I just don't know how to have peace. And I said, Solvig, if there was a God, and if there was a way to have peace, would you want to know about it? Oh yeah, of course. Well, what I believe tells me that there is a way that you can have peace and peace with God. And I shared the gospel very simply with Solvig. I didn't have a tie on. I wasn't in a jacket. I didn't have my Bible at hand. I was there to fill up balloons with helium. But, but God that morning said, you're here for a different reason. Last night I was at, at, at Ingalls picking up chicken. Glory. Solvig was there. Hey, how are you? I'm good. She asked me to read a book. I plan on reading that book. I plan on going back to Ingalls. Are you available? Is the question. Not do I feel capable? Do I have all the answers? Are you available? Would you be willing this morning to ask God to reorganize your life? In such a way that you might be available to join God in His mission? This morning, the offer's open for you. This morning, God wants nothing more than His children to join Him on mission. There are two groups of people in this room. One group of people is that, that, that you need to come to the gospel to trust the good news that Jesus Christ accomplished for you everything that's necessary for salvation. And that's one group of people in this room. The second group of people says needs to, needs to respond today and say, I want to give my life to the mission of God. And I want to make myself available. Would you stand with me? Miss Margaret, would you come? Christopher, would you come? We're going to have a silent, Miss Margaret's going to play quietly, but we're just going to have a time of silent response. Would you bow with me? If you're in this room today, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you say, Pastor Ryan, today I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never done that before, and today I want to do that. Would you slide up your hand and say, Pastor Ryan, that's me. I see your hand, brother. Praise the Lord. See your hand. Any more? Is there anybody here today that just says, Ryan, before God and my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to make myself more available to His mission. Are you here? You want to do that? Slide a hand up. Let God know. I see your hands. I want to be available. If you, if you just raised your hand and said, I want to trust Jesus, I want to meet with you. I want you to come to me in a minute. Let's talk through that.
But in this moment of silence, maybe you need to come to the altar. Say, I'm, I'm here. I'm laying myself down. Commission me. Your missionary, your ambassador, armed with the gospel, filled with the spirit. Lord, do it. Whatever you need to empty me for, do it. Because I want to be available. You come. You come now. You move. If you need, if you raise your hand and say, I want to meet Jesus, come see me. If you want to be available and you want to come and pray, come pray. Come pray.